<clears throat> well, good morning. So as I said, I've been uh, messing about with uh, the obscure night of the soul, uh, the book of Job. Uh, I recently put up that podcast. and it, So here's the funny thing that almost works out as kismet. So I was attracted uh, to figuring a solution within Buddhism originally for trauma. Uh, and then eventually came to the conclusion that uh, Buddhism is all about treating trauma, which led me to, you know, casino practice, led me to uh, Carl Jung and his active imagination, right? Very similar with uh, Cassina. But I'd been using the I Ching. That's where it all started to come together, right? Found out that Carl Jung wrote an introduction to the I Ching back in the day, but, you know, not commonly well known. So I find it, I read it. Lo and behold, I put up uh, my reading from, it's now in the public domain, uh, Carl Jung's introduction to the Tibetan Book of the Dead and his introduction to the Yi Jing. Um, so I told you before that I went and signed up for an audible, finally, after years of not really seeing the, the benefit, because there was only one book that I haven't been able to access otherwise, like either from uh, the library or, you know, wherever. Uh, it was that uh, trauma-sensitive mindfulness or trauma-informed mindfulness, David Trelevin. And I read it in the digital form, and I've told you before, up until fairly recently, I don't know if that's changed, but it definitely prior to the last year or two, I wouldn't retain near as much reading, especially digitally. It was digital, right? Not a physical book. Um, but so, again, uh, Book of Job came across some important stuff. Uh that relates. So I thought it was time to look at Carl Jung's Answers to Job. It was this uh, book that was published in 1952 originally, published in English in 54. That makes it in the public domain here in Canada. I found uh, an edition of the 1952 or 54 um, version. Uh, but this is where it gets weird. So I tried finding the audiobook. It is available on Audible, but they want you to use a credit. And I'm not going to buy a credit because, well, they want too much money, usually. Um, but if I wait just a few days, I get my last credit, which I wasn't sure what I was going to use on anyways, my last credit for Audible. So I started looking on the internet to see if there's anything. You know, some people put up segments on the YouTubes or, you know what I mean, to get little samples beyond what Audible lets you listen to. And in that process, I looked up some, by accident, some, some critiques, some discussion about, uh, not Book of Job this time, but about Carl Jung's answers to Job. And one of them that I actually opened up was uh, the act of imagination in Carl Jung's answers to Job. Obviously, I'm going to click on that. It's a research paper. I, I luckily have access to, to some papers online, um, depending on whether. Where they're available from, I, I have uh, some limited access, uh, right, because of the number of courses that I've taken over the years. So I open this uh, PDF up, and lo and behold, it's written by a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Welland, which I only really noticed, uh, you know, the title I just kept reading, but I only really noticed this when I was reading one of the footnotes. Because at the bottom of each uh, page, it, it was published in a religion in Canada magazine or something like that. 
I can't quite remember, don't quote me on that, but it was an article in a, in a magazine or in a publication. And at the bottom of each, the footer of each page has the author's name, and it actually mentions where he was from, which is not too far from here. So I go and look this up. <laughs> Lo and behold, yeah, he used to be an educator in uh, the public school system, and uh, now is a Jungian psychologist. It's hilarious. He even got a recent certification in 2019, so it looks like he's still around. I'm going to contact this gentleman and hope that he's interested. I doubt it. He's going to be so busy with his um, online therapy now. Charges $100 a session via Skype, which is um, really crappy for Linux users because well, if you don't have Skype, right? <laughs> I kid, I kid. But I'd like to talk to him about his uh, understanding of Jung's use of the I Ching and, and active imagination, right? His ideation. See, that's my own use, my own term, right? So his own telos, his own ethos, his own way to access the intuition, access the self. He, uh, he chose to use uh, the I Ching. And uh, so just the last little fall down the rabbit hole is I went looking, like I said, some excerpts. And yes, someone had actually supposedly recorded uh, Carl Jung's um, answers to Job and put it on YouTube. Now, I'd love for you to go. I don't know what the username is. I forget off the top of my head, but it shouldn't be hard to find. Um, he recorded it in the back of a minivan. I guess that's his little um, recording booth. I hope he doesn't live there, uh, unless that's what he wants. But uh, I've made mention before that uh, I can handle some serious uh, cognitive dissonance with, with audiobooks. Right, I can even listen to, and, and I have many times, um, some of these digitally produced, right, computer-read books. Like I said, I've done that with Nishitani. Um, so imagine, imagine going through a scholarly book with a computer voice. It, it's tough, but I can do it. But this guy, oh, no, 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 I can't do it. And one of the comments actually said, oh, that's so cool, bro, you hit the bong. Or the pipe, I can't remember the exact comment. You hit the pipe uh, while you're doing your... That's fine. I mean, I have no problem with that. But let's be honest. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it kind of makes my case. Uh, you know, I don't feel as bad that I have to uh, say that, well, I can't handle anything when it comes to, you know, these audiobooks and these presentations and some of these seminars, right? Some people can't handle the audio is no good. I'm like, yeah, well, it ain't that bad, right? <laughs> because I care about the ideas. But see, there's the funny thing that happened. So I'm not going to have access to Carl Jung's um, Answers to Job, the audiobook on Audible, till next week. And that's going to be the Sumo Basho. So... Of course I'll have time. I'm just kidding. It's just almost like synchronicity and kismet, right? Everything that's brought me to Jung and all of this philosophy and this treatment is all to try to heal, right, some of our most suffering. I've said this before that sadly the most suffering and trauma are the least to reach out for help and the least to fight for help when you get uh, denied or gaslit or whatever it might be because you're difficult, right?
trauma, inflammation, chronic illness. All of these are very difficult to diagnose, understand, let alone treat. So it makes sense that people give up. It's this cognitive dissonance, right? If someone is, is intractable, as they say, hard to get a, a peg on, you lose your motivation. Think about the lessons from the book of Job. Lessons could be applied to doctors and our healthcare and our politicians, right? Because even in the face of people yelling at you, telling you that you can't do your job, you should still work towards that. Right? What was it I was thinking this morning on my walk? That, um, I mean, Proust, Nietzsche, I can't remember who the author was this morning, but it's, uh, it's like 80 years after he wrote his book that it's only becoming uh, popular, known, understood, what have you. I mean, that's the true secret to trying to get this stuff done. Right? You're not doing it for, for fame or riches you really should be doing it for somebody in the future, long after your death even, right? Because if you come up with an idea that transcends time, space, and geography, is a universal truth that can help, you know, millions, maybe billions of people, I mean, that's, he said, right, all new truths, new ideas are denatured by the marketplace, Right? Because a challenge to the status quo is a challenge to the human experience, right? And if the truth of our existence is you're either growing or you're, or you're, you're shrinking, you're atrophying. If you're not challenging yourself to be better than you were before, then you're getting worse. You're not, you're not standing still. So status quo isn't standing still. Status quo is a backward slide. The way it is, not the way it should be or the way it could be. But yet another funny um, kismet is by accident I did that book review as an experiment in my being able to read an actual physical book now and how much information I could garner and glean. Well, I think I can. Uh, four hours and 20 minutes uh, for a book review. But here I'm feeling like, a, oh my gosh, you're just a loon. And I came across an amazing podcast that was about Dostoevsky and Nietzsche. And it's five hours long. And every moment of this podcast is gold, at least I exaggerate, but you know what I mean. I'm chuffed that it's five. If it was an hour, I'd probably be like, ah, there's so much more could be said. Right? And there is more that could be said even after the five hours. But so this gentleman that recorded the uh, answers to Job, I mean, farting around a little bit, right, taking a, taking a toke here and there, took a little over five hours. So I wonder, I wonder if I could tear my way through the book of Job in, in under five hours. And then we can be pretty much sure that I could put it up as the podcast. I'll do it separately from this. I could put it up as the podcast and share, because that's what I'm doing. I'm now sharing the podcast as a share and share alike license, right, Creative Commons, no commercial use attribution, um, creative commons, open source, uh, because, right, the way I thought of it is, where am I going to put my podcast, because uh, Spotify bought Anchor, what happens if Anchor goes away, or I don't know, maybe I say something I wasn't supposed to say, and I get cancelled, um, it would be nice for these to uh, stand posterity, especially since 
unlike some of these philosophers that I love and talk about, I have workbooks, journals, right? But really, a lot of this journey that I've been on the last four, five, six, whatever years, certainly the four or five years with the podcast, it's been, a, it's been my personal journal, right? So the final, not the final, obviously, because it's, it's never ending, but just yet another little bit of synchronicity is that, like I said, published in 52, that means this book, uh, Carl Jung's Answers to Job, one of the last things he did, but more importantly, very important, very important piece to not just his philosophy, but I think to our current state of the world, I told you that he wrote about this modern malaise that 20% of his, his patients were suffering from. I'd argue that could be a good 40% nowadays. Right? And yet, so many people call themselves psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, and they have these exact issues that they need to work on themselves. So what makes them think they're going to be able to work this through for others? Sometimes, sometimes they can, right? Like me, right? Let's hope I'm helping others, even though, you know... I should be helping myself. <laughs> Sorry, it's a joke. That's uh, that's an affect of uh, complex trauma, right? You tend to uh, tend to feel you're worthless if you're not uh, uh, of value to others, right? You don't see your inherent worth. But what I realized is, well, geez, I just did a podcast. It was it's actually accidental because uh, the the app burped. And it uploaded the final segment twice. So it ended up being almost five hours um, until I took out the, the last segment. That was, uh, took out the double. So it brought it back down to that four-hour, 20-minute mark. But that means I could put up uh, Carl Jung's answers to Job. And, and, I mean, why do I mean kismet? Because, well, I find out that Carl Jung was wholly, if not incredibly, profoundly influenced by Nietzsche particularly his uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, which is considered one of the greatest books of philosophy, self-help, psychology even. Fight me if you don't uh, believe me. <clears throat> That's a joke. <laughs> it's a reference to the Greeks, right? Nowadays, they're like, I, I put up a very limited proof, please accept it, versus back in Greece, it's like, this is my worldview, you know? Fight me. But so I could put up uh, this book, I'll do it separately, obviously. Uh, record the book, so hopefully that can be my um, gift. right? Because, yes, it's on Audible, but the way I see it, it's not freely available that way. I mean, it's in the public domain. Um, but the one on Audible, obviously, is the one that was republished in, like, 2011 with a new introduction by... Oh, Somebody who seems to be uh, monetizing Carl Jung's content rather than realizing that his philosophy, his therapy, his ideas are the answer to this modern malaise. The putting up a paywall, just like Krishnamurti in a sense, but almost worse, this paywall is, is going to limit the, the amount of, of benefit that could be had. Remember I said Carl Jung said uh, it takes 20 years for for these medical insights to make their way into the public uh, um, zeitgeist. But now I'm seeing why some of this stuff has taken longer than 20 years and some of it doesn't seem to have even made its way into the broader public.
because they seem to be limiting. So there's that final piece. Not only have I learned to translate the German, so if there's something in there that I'd like to know, like a particular word he might have used, what he originally meant, compare translations. Uh, I've read everything Nietzsche's ever written over and over again until well, I found out supposedly some people have a hard time understanding Zarathustra, but I think if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you realize my favorite book, I arguably could probably never, ever calculate how many times I've read and listened to the book, particularly R.J. Hollingdale's edition. That's got to be hundreds of times. But the other editions, I've read every translation on the planet of uh, Zarathustra, some of his other books. I, I, like I told you, I prefer some of the, uh, the better quality translations in some of the works. So some of them are, like for example, uh, Thomas Commons, you compare that to uh, Kaufman. They almost seem like, you know, they were copying each other. Almost identical. And you compare that to, say, Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche, uh, Hollingdale's Nietzsche. It's significantly different. But that's me. That's me. I mean, I prefer um, King James uh, to the American Standard Version of the Bible only because I think it flows better, right, the language. But if you're looking for the actual meaning without all of the the luster, then I would agree. Yeah, the King James Version just kind of gets in the way. Um, but I don't feel the same way about R.J. Hollandy. I don't think he ever gets in the way of the language. Um, the reason why it's difficult is you really do have to. I've told you before, there's a few simple sentences that I could point to. I point to um, Hinterwelten, uh, the backworldsman. Um, I can't think of the different sections, but there's a number of paragraphs, sentences, even words that are translated differently and, and some of them not even translated properly. I mean, the example is, I quote to guess who about, um, you know, uh, colored lights, they hypnotize and sparkle someone else's eyes. It's actually in Nietzsche's Zarathustra where, depending on the translation, it's either saying God is a multicolored illusion, or we see ourselves uh, creating the world. It's really quite interesting, um, but you have to go back to the German. Same as I mentioned about man is the evaluator, the evaluator. Depends on the translation you read. What's funny is I, I would say both. It's both evaluator and valuator, because if you look at the word in German, it meant to value and evaluate, right? To parse through uh, things, objects, and to to apply value. So it's both in that case. Again, another reason why reading multiple translations can be handy, but neither here nor there. I don't think there's many people that are quite so prepared, right? Um, with Nietzsche, uh, Jung, uh, all of the Upanishads, which, which also would have been an uh, influence. I've read all of the translations of the Jing, Used it for 35 years-ish now, almost. Um, right? Because there was a few years there where I really didn't, probably wasn't using it per se. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. As we tend to, to figure this stuff out. But, so here's the idea. I can read. Let's see, what is it today? Let's see if I can get this in. Get to five hours of Carl Jung's... Um, so you can't touch Libra Novus. That was only just uh, um, 
published. What I do think is I could probably do like a reaction type video the way they do nowadays, right? Listen to excerpts and go, oh my, right? And talk about it. But when it comes to answers to Job, as his seminars with Kundalini, I think because they're in the open domain, I can read them. But unlike Kundalini, I think the book of Job is, uh, is very timely, very apropos, very necessary, and I think could be uh, groundbreaking. So, and the last piece of kismet is I haven't read Answers to Job, because this is another one of these books that um, I don't have uh, in print edition. Uh, because again, all this began with finding um, Gabor Mate's uh, In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts at the thrift store and, and Basil Vanderkolt's book, um, Body Keeps the Score at the thrift store. You know, that's what opened my eyes to this. You know, there was some newer ideas, some different treatments out there. But after doing this for a while, I realized that there's nothing really new per se, or as simply uh, put, as <sighs> these are universal truths. So wouldn't it be hubris to think that, you know, we're doing anything but rewording the same sorts of ideas. So Jung, Carl Jung, his uh, answers to Job, I think, much more important to be uh, read, especially since I think it'd take a week to read uh, his seminars in Kundalini. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but um, this answers to Job, what I was getting at, is it's going to be a good test, another experiment, because I've gotten pretty good at reading because of my need to be so mindful. I have to make sure that I read the correct word. You know, I'm reading in advance. I don't uh, pronounce the words in my head. I really have learned the secrets of speed reading because I have to, right? Because I need to balance um, focus and, uh, and, uh, and function, right? So... Not only do I have to stay on task, but I also have to make sure that I function properly, right? I can't get lost with, um, you know, pronouncing because that can really slow me down because uh, I am so poor at, at pronouncing. I, I'm actually uh, recognized words just by their look, and that's why I have to stay focused because words that look similar can throw me and I can mispronounce. You'll hear that sometimes when I read quotes. Sometimes I'll, uh, you know, say, say a word wrong. Um, because it looks similar and I wasn't focusing, I was looking too far ahead or what have you. But I think it'll work out perfect because my ability to be able to read as long as I can on the computers. Um, so I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to read Carl Jung's Answers to Job. I'll be reading it off a computer screen. Um, I'll be reading it cold, which is fine for me because um, I do retain if I read it out loud. That has been a a uh, trick that I used to use. Um, I know it's kind of <laughs> sad. But if you pay attention, you actually can develop um, a voice, like arguably an audible voice, a metaphysical audible voice. But you can, what I do even with audiobooks, I mentioned this as a meditation strategy, I repeat back the lines from the audiobook if it's not too too fast. and And you can hear, even reading, you can hear... A voice. I've asked this before because someone was make, trying to make fun about people listening to an audiobook and you're not reading. Well, whose voice do you hear when you read? Do you hear the author's voice or do you hear your own? Because you have to hear some voice. And with practice, with focus, you'll see that you're able to have uh, 
you know, a narrative in your head. You, most people do. I've been told there's this new theory that some people don't have an inner monologue, but I'm not familiar with that. I've always had, I've had an undeniable one. So for me, it'll be a benefit. I mean, if I'm going to read the darn thing, I should probably read it out loud. Otherwise, I mean, I might as well read it a half dozen times to get the same amount of retention, believe it or not. Not exaggerating too much, I think, in that case. I'd probably have to read it at least three times to get um, a similar retention that I would get from reading it aloud once. So not only can I record it, it's going to help me because I'm saying it out loud. I'll be able to, you know, have it read it. I should be able to get the, uh, the information out of it, right? Uh, not to mention, I'll use um, the app I use for my podcast, so I can do it in segments. That way I can make sure nothing goes wonky with the Bluetooth. Um, and uh, I can even stop if I come across a little line that I want to make a note of. right? Because uh, I'll try to make it just the audiobook all the way through without me um, adding any of my, what do you call it, editorializing. Um, I'll save that maybe for a separate. Uh, but so for the last little kismet, is I've, I've been ignoring the truth that I don't even upload all of the podcasts to, uh, to my YouTube channel. It's, it's Al Ohm on uh, YouTube. <clears throat> I, don't, uh, I don't upload them all. Um, but it seems what's popular on YouTube are not the same as what's popular on Anchor. On Anchor, it seems to be more the Buddhist stuff. Uh, some of the more well-known stuff um, uh, early on with Tumo, uh, the Psychic Heat. Um, those are some of the more popular. Uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead stuff. There's a little uh, little connection there, a little synergy, synchronicity. Uh, because on YouTube, my most popular are um, my readings from Carl Jung. Right? Uh, the intro to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, the Yijing... Uh, Geez, I did a few, actually. Uh, as well as some of my insights on, uh, on some of this stuff. Believe it or not, the other thing that I found out is uh, Nietzsche and I, and I believe Jung, he just didn't talk a lot about it, shared uh, um, we had some health issues. I think not, not as bad uh, with Jung, but certainly with Nietzsche. We share, uh, you know, having to battle through our health issues just to, just to do what we want to do to get these ideas out here. And uh, up until recently, I was using uh, some, you know, home, homemade concoctions to try to alleviate my pain and my suffering, just like Nietzsche. But been without that for about a week now. Uh, it's helped a lot with, uh, you know, my focus and, and that, but uh, it, it's hindered a little bit because of the fatigue. Um, like today, I, I cut my walk a little short because I knew if I had gone the full length, I, I'm almost back to where I was before I injured my foot because I'm almost healed. Thank gosh for that. Uh, but I'm almost back at my full uh, walk. Uh, but if I had done that today, I wouldn't have had the energy. To, probably wouldn't have been able to do this podcast, let alone um, record uh, a couple hours of reading. But yeah, so uh, after this podcast, uh, I'll try to... Uh, upload, uh, even if I have to put it up in blocks, that's what I did with some of the other readings, right? Do like an hour block and upload it and just add it as the time goes, right? Every day you can add an hour, right? Because if you find the podcast, uh, 
you know, I'll just make mention, as I did with those other episodes, that I'll be adding to it so they can keep checking back. And that's what's nice about the app I use. It uh, it uh, highlights these different sections, right? So you can see, oh, well, that's the first section, like the aridity of the soil, uh, of the soil. I keep saying that. It's so funny. But I apologize. Yeah, I am scriptless, so it is part of the problem. But yes, um, kind of solves the problem then. Uh, I'll be finally on a script. Uh, so you can finally listen to, uh, to an episode that uh, isn't a little bit meandering. But hopefully over the last few years, I've gone from uh, lost to found. <laughs> if you get that reference send me a message. But uh, yeah, so next podcast will be uh, Carl Jung's um, Answers to Job, uh, and I'm hoping Answers to Trauma, Answers to this problem of the aridity of the soul, this disconnection from meaning, from, from joy, from love, from passion, from value, um, our disconnect from hope, our disconnect from faith. Right? I saw recently someone discussing whether... Spirituality, religion, is a necessary component of a human experience. Well, who are you to not see what placebo can do? And if placebo doesn't make you realize that you can't know for sure that there is no spirituality in man, but you also can't know for sure that there isn't. So for me, this transcends, in fact, that's why I was looking at Answers to God, because some of the research papers that were talking about it were talking about Carl Jung and his reconceptualization of God. Because that's what I've read, having read just about everything, that Carl, everything else that Carl Jung has put forward. It seems to me, but particularly from his Liber Novus, his red book, which is supposed to be the basis of his philosophy and his therapy, his idea, his uh, individuation. It very much seems that his concept of God is much different than most perspectives. It, it to me, matches my chittamatra, this idea that um, providence this is the word I prefer in English. Right? Shakti in Sanskrit. It's, it is a power, a goddess, uh, a divine power or strength, but more as what binds us together. Right? I guess this is just off the top of my head, but I would liken it to the knots in a fishing net. A fishing net's actually made up of one solid piece of twine. Right? This is like Indra's net, but here's the lesson in English. Each one of these knots are interconnected to the next knot. Each knot is an individual knot, necessary to the cohesive whole. But they are all part and parcel. Right? I actually likened it because uh, they were using computer... Um, it was the theories of everything with Kurt um, Yonagal, or I can't, I apologize, I can't remember what his name is. Theories of everything with Kurt... <laughs> They were talking science, uh, maths, uh, so they were using computer examples. So I gave like a Beowulf cluster, right? So they're all individual components, individual computers, individual nodes, but they act as one. 
right? So while they're acting as a Beowulf cluster, or while the, the knots, the string, there is no separating the knots from the string, while they're acting as a net, you can't separate the whole from the pieces. But I love the idea of the net and the knots. Because the knot is absolutely essential to the whole. Because if you untie one of the knot, well then the entire um, uh, value of the net becomes suspect because you might lose your entire catch through that hole that um, the absent knot had left or created. Whereas there's no denying this duality of non-duality in existence. It really is why Carl Jung saw this idea of the duality of opposites and, and why he, and this is also why we're going to go into this, a number of the, the terms he used in his philosophy uh, are found in uh, his answers to Job. Uh, certainly the enantiodromia, this uh, reversal or um, uh, vacillation to the opposites. Because I've experienced it myself, right? I've told you before that I went from not believing in magic and the metaphysical to maybe to realizing maybe there is a certain amount of trust and faith that one can have in something outside and beyond. Right? Maybe there is, as I said from that movie, Secondhand Lions, maybe it is important to believe in some of these things that we can't know for sure, but we must believe for us to achieve what we're capable of doing. Right? So for me, I guess it's uh, baby steps. Right? For me, the next step was to read uh, answers to Job, because I have gone through uh, the book of Job a number of times, and I think it, it's speaking to this exact uh, problem we're living today. It's not speaking about an absence of God. It's speaking about an absence from, from what we truly value. Everything was taken away from Job, but he realized that none of it made him whole. Emerson said the same thing. He said he lost his son, but because of his faith, not in God, but in his experience, his faith made him realize, as with Job, that he wasn't any lesser because of the loss of anything that he had valued. He said he could lose all of his wealth. Just as Rudyard Kipling said, in, in a game of pitch and toss, you can lose it all. But the secret is to start over again and to never make mention of your loss. Right? Because there are much worse things in this world to lose than a house or wealth or even reputation. So for me, it, it almost seems kismet that I've been brought to this that, I mean, <laughs> I'm afraid. So how better than to challenge myself to be, to be better and, and do better? So can I at once prove to myself I can do something? Like I did with the laptop. I opened up 
my brand new laptop that I'd be nowhere and nothing without. And I was able to, for the most part, clean and fix it to the point where it's working again. I might not have had anything if I hadn't been able to do that. So here's my uh, Goggins moment that uh, I have the ability, while I still have a phone that's working, I can record um, Carl Jung's um, answers to Job and maybe I can learn something. Maybe it's the final piece to my philosophy of the tragedy of trauma. Although that's also gone uh, the way of Jung's anantiodromia because now it's gone back to an autobiography. Autobiography, sorry. Je m'excuse. You've gone back to autobiography in a sense because that's how I can tell my, my story of the tragedy of trauma using my, my own anecdotal evidence, as it were. Oh, I apologize. Just fit to be tied. But yeah, so uh, I'm just going to charge up the headphones. Like I said, worst case, I can do an hour at a time. That's, I'm forced to do an hour at a time anyways, which is smart because then you don't lose too much if something goes wrong. And record uh, this uh, seminal tome, and uh, maybe we can get some answers out uh, to the public, which was his original intention, which is funny. Um, but I do believe he never understood um, where we might be today. I don't know what education's like now, but I would argue that uh, you don't need to be a doctor to consume some of this stuff. As we saw from that book about depression, he was just a writer, but he was able to consume a vast amount of medical knowledge himself. So I don't think it's uncommon nowadays. Uh, like I said, I um, can't remember who said it recently, but somebody said that Zarathustra is near impossible to understand or read. And that just shocks me because I never found it that way. I mean, I, that's, I told you, I, I realized that must have been why um, that English professor let me in her class. Because uh, not only uh, did I have a dog-eared, marked-up version, a la Mortimer Alder, of Zarathustra with me, but it was also very specifically the R.J. Hollingdale one, so it wasn't just a run-of-the-mill copy. It was a, obviously, I had no idea, but it was Kismet, a well-chosen copy. But the fact that I not only understood it, but I loved it, and I'd even wrote some prose that uh, fit this, uh, the, the entire idea. So is my early understanding. And, and I, believe it or not, last bit of... Uh, Last bit of BS here. I uh, dug up some old stuff. I dug up an old... Uh, <coughs> oh, excuse me. I dug up an old uh, Guinness Book of World Records. It's funny. Uh, a couple of years before all these guys became famous doing um, uh, survival for, for fame reasons, I sent a letter uh, to the Guinness Book of Records because there was some scuttlebutt about it becoming a record because somebody... Uh, got somewhat famous back, this is 30 plus years ago, or, or so, someone got somewhat famous because uh, they survived like seven days in the wilderness um, without food. And I, uh, at the time I chuckled because um, I, I would do two to three week stretches, um, sometimes even without a canoe. It's a lot easier with a canoe, believe it or not. But 
I would do two and three week stretches with nothing but a knife. Uh, sometimes I wouldn't even bring a lighter. Uh, you know what I mean? But that was a little extreme. Uh, Bic lighter will take you a long way. Trust me, especially if you get wet. So I sent him a letter and I said, hey, hey. Uh, what about uh, the survival category? And I said, I could do a month, which I very well could be if, if I could have a, a lighter and a knife. Oh boy, could I. But they're like, no, 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 that can't be a category. It has to be real survival situation, right? Because like I said, this was, was what was in the news at the time, right? It's funny too, they lost my facts. And instead of asking me to refax, they're like, nope, sorry, not interested. But within a couple of years, whoo, yeah, TV shows everywhere on this. But uh, what I found with it was my original assessment, uh, my learning disability assessment. I didn't realize I had a full IQ test done. So, geez, did I get gaslit by them too, believe it or not. So maybe why I didn't have as much trouble with uh, Zarathustra and, and the Tibetan Book of the Dead at the time uh, wasn't just my experience with trauma. You know, this stuff resonated for me. But it looks like I wasn't as bad off as I thought. Um, there's very few areas that I'm deficient in, actually. I'm more so average. So the reason why they, they highlight why... Um, why I was obviously uh, dyslexic was because I was uh, very superior in a bunch of other areas. So they said that, well, technically he should be a lot better at, you know, these reading, maths. Uh, and well, for me, it was like reversing letters and, and, and transposing numbers, just terrible. Like I couldn't trust my lying eyes. But it looks like, kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy of that uh, depression sufferer who, who said, He'd feel okay in the morning, but the day would get worse. But if you're constantly dreading that, it will self-fulfill. So it was the same with me. So instead of them telling me that, oh, you just have a couple areas that you need to get some practice in. Remember, I told you, they gave me extra time for my test. They never helped me learn how to read better, how to write better. None of that. None of it. Like I said, my American Lit teacher told me I wrote with a very specific voice. Why? I think because it's a lot easier to tell a kid, uh, yeah, you're very unique in how you write, instead of teaching them how to write to be understood. Right? I use the Hemingway app for that. That's how I learned how to write. Because when I started using the Hemingway app, I was at first kind of shocked and, and with surprise. There was some pride. Pride goes before the fall. Because some of my writing, which I thought was okay, no one ever said was terrible, um, was grade 17 when I put it in the Hemingway app. And I'm like, wow, I write like I went to university for like 10 years? No, grade 17 means you have to have like 17 years of experience to be able to put the punctuation in to understand what's being said. Kind of like E.E. E. Cummings, right? E.E. E. Cummings forces you be, to be the author because you have to place the punctuation and understand where a sentence begins and ends and where a pause is and is not. But because I believed these people that told me I was deficient in so many areas I could never learn, they told me I should take up a trade. In fact, I did. I told you this before, I think. Um, I became an uh, apprentice with a locksmith. Uh, that was after I kind of failed as a carpenter. But it was mainly the guy that was, I was apprenticing under. He was kind of, a, kind of a mess. So I went into locksmithing and hardware and glass uh, estimation, which was cool, uh, very awesome. But uh, just didn't, 
fulfill me. And what I seem to have figured out is because I had great aptitude towards these analytical concepts and all this sort of stuff. And I can't remember the exact terms, but it's this higher order thinking stuff, right? Uh, societal norms and proceeds. And so the reason why I'm so good at forecasting has to do with these um, extremely superior uh, aptitudes. But what keeps me grounded is the fact that, well, I mean, the honest thing was is I wouldn't send emails or letters to people because my letters made me look like I was, you know, 12 years old or something. It was embarrassing. And more so, I even had a friend who for over a year kept making fun of me about this before I finally said, um, well, I didn't say him directly, but I just, you know, let it be known that I have severe dyslexia and this is my disconnect. So he stopped making the jokes, but he used to make a joke and go, wow, you're, you know, your spelling's terrible, your punctuation's terrible, you're ready. Yeah, dude. Not only did I never get taught it because they said, hey, you have dyslexia and you'll never learn, but like they also taught me English and French from an early age, even though I only had English at home. Never mind my developmental trauma, which they say can hold people back. But they never let me understand that because I had so many areas that were vastly superior to the average person, that I could overcome these deficiencies in certain areas, right? The areas of my math and my reading. So it's not just this idea of everyone's atypical. It's also the idea of focus and meditation. So it goes back to mindfulness. It goes back to Buddhism. Right? How can anybody learn if they're not in the right state, but also focused? So are we cutting our children off? I've, I've talked about this before. Making them believe that it's only at a certain age that you're going to learn this or you can learn this, or you should learn this, or you learn this the best. Or worse yet, saddling these poor kids with the idea that they may never be able to learn this or that because of a dis-ease. Well, wouldn't the solution be to minimize uh, the dis-ease or maximize the ease? Right? Like I said, less pills, more skills we need in our world. So, for me, for the longest time, and I still suffer from it because of my complex trauma, um, I really don't have a lot of faith in myself, that self-esteem. It's not like the self-loathing. I don't loathe myself like a lot of Westerners tend to do in this situation. But what I mean is I minimize myself. I've worked on the ego in combination with having been um, abused as a child, kind of developed this sense of not self that I've actually and it was on my walk that I realized that I have to embrace selfishness again right because I can't give a rat's butt about what someone else thinks or does if they're not in my wheelhouse or whatever the term would be right if I'm not helping them or they're not helping me and like why should I care about what someone else does in their private lives right like this sense of uh, extreme justice that neurodiversional people can have. All right, so long story short, it's not probably going to be that much of a challenge for me because, like I said, I think I'm much better at this than I've ever given myself credit for. I just avoided it altogether because I was convinced 
by professionals, sadly, but I was convinced that I was unable to do these things because I was disabled. But in reality, I wasn't disabled, as in permanently, but I was disabled by the education system that never enabled me to overcome these challenges or these, uh, what would you call them, uh, areas of deficiency. Uh, my family, I mean, think about it. If, if you live in fear nearly 24 hours, seven days a week, it's kind of hard to focus on uh, your schoolwork, right? So it just makes perfect sense. But on that note, like I said, I'm going to uh, spend the day today. Hopefully I can get her all knocked out. Spend the day today recording Carl Jung's uh, Answers to Job. And as I said, I think the reason why is, one, I've been told my voice is okay to listen to. Let's hope. Uh, two, I've been getting better at this reading thing. Doing a lot of practicing over the years. Uh, three, oh, I don't know very many people that have read uh, the book of Job as often as I have. Or I think, um, which is nearly as important, uh, the rest of Carl Jung's um, writings. And then I think because of how influenced Carl Jung was, having read all of Nietzsche, being familiar with the Eastern, not just the I Ching, but the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita, everything and anything that might have influenced these gentlemen. So to be able to read this, make it available, and then who knows? I mean, like I said, I, I'll, uh, I'll be able to go through it and make notes, and uh, it may actually produce... Um, it may produce some content uh, of its own. I mean, uh, I'm working towards uh, the tragedy of trauma, my own book, but I think the beginning will be to open up Thus Big Zarathustra. But I think because he's so scary to most people, I think maybe I can use Carl Jung as an intro. Maybe uh, wheel my way in. But on that, have a great day and look forward to the new.